listening to Okay, welcome to new episode of Yoshi Den. I'm back in Los Angeles at Rec Hall's place. Please, if you can, donate to yoshiden.com. And uh, if you're interested, please download um, iPhone app for Yoshi Den, as well as, you know, if you can, give me five stars on my um, uh, podcast shows on iTunes. So, anyway, I'm, I'm in Los Angeles, and I'm here with my good, great friend, Steve Catani. And uh, it's a very exciting time for him because yesterday, Los Angeles Kings won their second Stanley Cup, and today I want to talk to Steve about his love affair with uh, LA Kings, and um, he's very, very happy. And um, Steve, congratulations, because I think you've been friend of that franchise for many years, uh, especially when they were losing for years, and um, what an interesting day. They won on June 13th, the Friday the 13th, and it was a magical yeah. day for Kings, and terrible, terrible day for uh, New York Rangers, so yeah. It was a, uh, it had to have been a tough day for the New York Rangers, but they played a series. They lost the series four games to one to the Kings, but the Rangers played a series uh, of incredible intensity. They lost three overtime games to the Kings, three games that they could have easily won. Two of the games were games in which they held leads in regulation. They got Two nothing leads in game, a two nothing lead in game one, a two nothing lead in game two. Later in game two, they were up three one. Later, they were up four to two, and they couldn't hold those leads. And they uh, they lost eventually lost each of those games in overtime. Last night was a little different. The Kings scored first, but then they the Rangers came back. They um, they didn't collapse to the pressure that the Kings were putting on them. The sure the frenzy of the crowd and the Rangers showed so much heart and so much grit. It, it's really hard to hate them. You know, you want to hate the team that's standing in your way when you've gotten that far. But it's impossible to hate them, and the New York Rangers played that series with unbelievable intensity and a lot of grit and a lot of uh, chutzpah, as our Jewish friends would say. Sure. A lot of chutzpah. It really was a great series, but no, I mean, uh, God, I, 2012 didn't seem like it could have been any more exciting, even though there wasn't... Uh, a tremendous amount of drama. The Kings pretty much marched to their first championship, but it was just, it was so much fun and uh, so much excitement, but it seems to have been trumped about a thousand times sure. by last night. Last night really was just about the single greatest moment in the history of professional sports anywhere. Before we go get in detail um, this year's championship, and let's talk a little bit about two years ago, um, can we, can you, let the audience know what it was like to be Kings fan for a long time from inauguration year of 1967. This franchise have struggled for many, many decades. Yeah, the the team, right, 67, uh, they came into the league when the league expanded from six teams to 12. And to be honest, that's kind of when the National Hockey League really starts because it had just been a six-team league for the previous four or five decades, something like that. So the Kings came in, uh, they put a decent team out their first year, and then the second year I think they slipped and they were pretty bad. They, I think they only won like 15 games. They had a pocket of a couple years in the mid-70s where they actually enjoyed some success. They had a couple of memorable playoffs uh, against the Boston Bruins. I believe a couple of Bru- series uh, in successive years against the Bruins, like 
the first or second round of the playoffs, and um, I believe each time they lost in a long series, either six or seven games. But there were some historic moments. Uh, Butch Goring was a very popular player on the Kings at the time, and uh, they had a um, Rogi Vashon was their goalie, mm-hmm. whose uh, mm-hmm. uh, jersey has been retired by the team, a very successful goalie for the Kings. But it's true, uh, up until they got Wayne Gretzky in 88, the Kings had... A, po- a pocket of a couple of good years here and there, uh, but for the most part, it had been a losing franchise. It had been a mostly unsuccessful franchise, and uh, I kind of drifted into being a fan in the early 1980s, early to mid-1980s, just kind of casually seeing their games. I, You know, like a lot of kids that grew up in L.A. were not exposed to it. It's, you know, the, the town is ruled by... I grew up in a time when the Dodgers... With their memorable infield, uh, oh, Lakers days. dominated the whole. The thing. Lakers, the show, mm-hmm. certainly the Lakers. I, you know, the Elgin Baylor, Jerry West Lakers uh, were kind of fading. But when I was growing up, when I was entering my preteen and teen years, that's when you had the arrival of Magic Johnson and um, Pat Riley Showtime. Sure. sure, and then it evolved, and I mean, it, it, you know, they had a couple of years where they dipped down, but basically, this has been the Lakers town for many, many years. So anyway, the Kings were always in their shadow. There just wasn't that hockey culture here. There was a, you know, every few years there'd be a spike, though. There'd be some yeah. success. There'd be some exciting players. You know, it wasn't like the Kings were completely off the map for long periods of time. But until Gretzky showed up, there wasn't any sustained success. You know, every good year was followed by a year or two of Can, it, can we talk for a moment? Sure. Um, well, um, I, I vaguely remember when Gretzky came here, but was it was a shock to you when you guys, when you realized he was coming here for Kings? Well, it's hard to remember exactly how it went down, but rumors were swirling uh, all around, and you know this is twelve years before. Did did the Edmonton and uh, Gretzky did they really want to trade him, and did he want to leave LA? Well, it came. To, you mean Edmonton? He did he want to leave LA? You mean he wanted to leave Edmonton? Yeah, I think Pocklington, Peter Pocklington, who owned the Edmonton Oilers at the time, who had uh, enjoyed so much success with his team. In the 1980s, Pocklington always said no to offers to sell Wayne Gretzky. Because they, they won four with him, right? They won four. They went five times, and they won four times with Wayne. And of Who course, beat them in one of the Stanley Cup? Uh, the well, we, like we were just talking about at dinner. Oh, oh that's right. Uh, the Islanders, Islanders, right? The Islanders finished their their run of four straight cups. And then the next year, the Islanders made it back in their drive for five, and they were unsuccessful because by then, Wayne and uh, and the gang had had a little more playoff experience. They had like three years of playoff experience under them, and they put them down pretty pretty handily. So. Do you want to tell that little story that we love about the first time the Edmonton went to the Stanley Cup and yeah. they saw the Islanders, and they learned a valuable lesson from uh, Islanders? It's true. The uh, the Edmonton was uh, kind of a brash, up-and-coming team with a lot of uh, young guys that would grow on, go on to become superstars in the league. And Wayne was already well-established mm-hmm. by then, even though he was very young. Probably the greatest player ever to come from he, Canada. Yeah, period, anywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had played the Islanders. They made the cup final. And the Islanders by this time were a little older. The Islanders were um, going for their fourth Stanley Cup, and the Islanders were able to sweep the young uh, Edmonton Oilers, the upstart Oilers, not upstart Oilers, but the 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 there's still an emerging force that had sure. hadn't quite re- reached maximum velocity. So the Islanders put them down in a four game sweep, and so uh, immediately following 
the cup ceremony and uh, what have you. The legend has it that Mark Messier and Wayne Gretzky went from the losing clubhouse to go and congratulate the Islanders. And thinking that at the winner's locker room will be bedlam celebration, throwing uh, uh, champagne, champagne yeah. over his head, yeah. laughing and joy. But instead, they saw what. Uh, instead, they saw a very quiet room of guys getting sewn up, guys putting ice packs on their uh, uh, different parts of their body. Uh, they they saw a room full of uh, very tired, uh, extremely exhausted and beaten down. Beaten down. I mean, you, you you. I suppose I can't remember exactly how it was characterized, but it was it was along the lines of you wouldn't think it was the winner's clubhouse. It was actually. Uh, you, you'd have thought maybe something else, but in fact it was. It was the team that had just completed their fourth Stanley Cup. And uh, the different things that you and I have read and heard is that Wayne and Messier like really took a lot from that. And they realized you got to be willing to bleed, bleed, and 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 they realized what it takes them to win. And the next year they did. Yeah, they went and um, you know took the Islanders apart pretty easily. Took them apart in five games. Uh, so I yeah. uh, so Islanders won four Stanley Cup in a row. They did. It was uh, you know it was a different time. The game was That's very like unbelievable. It is well preceding that mm-hmm. Montreal had won four in a row, and preceding that Philadelphia had won two in a row. That's go- going back to the days of the Broad Street Bullies, and you know so the Broad Street Bullies won a couple of cups. Then it was four cups, and the Broad Street Bullies were going for a third. And Montreal started their dynasty by so it was two by the Philly, four by the Montreal, four by four, the Islanders, and then and then the next five seasons, Edmonton four out of five. Edmonton won two, and then they lost to Montreal. They, no, they didn't make it to Montreal. They didn't make it one year because Calgary made it. Uh-huh. And it was there's a famous game that was played at uh, Northlands Coliseum in Edmonton. You know, another series that could have gone either way. The regular season, the Oilers were phenomenal that year. Sure. Uh, you know, it wasn't like the Isla, the uh, the Oilers slipped that year and had a bad year. They just uh, they got tripped up, and there was a famous, uh, a very close game played. I believe the series was three two Calgary, and the Oilers were playing a game at Northlands Coliseum. It was a home home game for them, and Calgary won the game. But uh, at, I don't know if the score was. I believe the score was tied late in the game, and the defenseman, a defenseman for the Oilers named Steve Smith, uh, was behind his own net. Uh, harmless play there wasn't a Calgary player around him and he was looking to move the puck up the ice so they can begin an attack and as the camera started to pan away from him towards center ice anticipating the puck being moved forward the the camera actually had to dart right back immediately to the right because Steve Smith had accidentally Grant Fuhrer the goaltender for the Edmonton Oilers had his back to him and didn't st- see Steve Smith's clearing attempt he actually he accidentally shot the puck off the back of Grand Fury and into the net, which put Calgary up by a goal and eventually would cost the Oilers the series. Oh my God! So it was, it literally was like, uh, like a, you know, it was a Great. fluke. It was a yeah. fluke. It was a, and I think Lanny McDonald, I think Lanny McDonald got credit for the goal. We'd have to Google it, but Lanny McDonald got the goal. Calgary was able to protect the lead and they wound up eliminating Edmonton that night. And of course, you know, it was just stunned silence in Northlands Coliseum. I remember watching that game. It's been. I'm not quite sure I got the scenario right, but it was, it was a, a, a devastating goal, and of course Steve Smith was, you know, devastated over. I'm it. sure, yeah. Um, and I think the next year the Oilers came back and won the cup, and uh, again, if I'm remembering correctly, when Gretzky got the Stanley Cup from the league commissioner, the first guy he handed the Stanley Cup to was Steve Smith. Gretzky is just an amazing guy. I mean, I, I just like everything I hear about him, and not he's to mention, very boy, cool he's got some hot. 
daughter. Holy yeah, Christ. I keep hearing about that. I keep Jesus hearing about Christ. that, but I have Polina. Yeah, she's a scenester. She's a she's a big scenester from what I hear. I have I haven't paid too much attention to that, but well, maybe you know, maybe she'll st- score a goal against her own team someday. Who knows? So, um, uh, you know, I, I didn't follow hockey for sure back then, but his name was so big. You know, you yeah, know, everybody knew who he was. Uh, you're a great player. If someone who doesn't even follow your sport yeah. know you, and uh, well, especially hockey because it's so culturally. Even though there had there's. There's so many large regions of the country that love hockey. It's still, it's still the outsider game, even though it's a lot more popular. It's, you know, it's still out there on the fringe. But I have to say, I we went to game a couple years back. I have, I have to say, it, it was really entertaining. It's such a fast, and that sounds, the energy that you you get yeah. when two players colliding into each other. No, it, it's, it's a great. physical game. It's a great product. I think, you know, the league has problems. The league has. A lot of things about it I don't like, but when you, I think it's it's a, f- a fabulous product. It really is a fantastic product. It's not perfect. There's things about it that I don't like, and of course that that's anybody. But it, it's it's fantastic, man. I love going. I've I've loved going. You know, ever since I was like, I think I went to my first game. I was 15, and I've absolutely loved it. I've been to hundreds of games over the years and I I don't think I've been to a single basketball game in 30 years. I've never been to a pro football game. Is that right? Never been to an NFL game. But we haven't had a team here in LA in 20 years. That's true. But I'm um, not a very big football fan, not really. Not so, like not nothing close to anything that you So know. It, it was exciting to see um Gretzky come here and they actually went to first Stanley Cup they win with with Gretzky. They did in 93 they did uh, oddly ironic for me per- ironically for me personally is after a couple of years of Gretzky, Gretzky had been in L.A. like three or four years mm-hmm. at that point. It was kind of wearing off. And, you know, one of the great ironies, I was such a diehard fan for a couple of really terrible years before Gretzky. And the first couple of years with Gretzky where the Kings markedly improved, completely changed the culture. I was a really big fan. But, you know, my, my love for the team was starting to fade. It just too many things had changed and, you know, some of it, was probably rational and some of it was probably irrational but i really wasn't i watched that series i watched that series with great intensity but i didn't really care that they, that they lost i wasn't what, what happened I, you know i just i think it was just the the fact that so much about the team identity and it, the team's identity needed to change and getting gretzky was a, an incredible move by mcnall but i just i they didn't do it for me as a team i didn't yeah think, you know, they were an explosive team. They had a high-octane offense. They still had a lot of guys from the old days like Luke Robitaille and Bernie Nichols and Dave Taylor, guys that I had been tremendous fans of. Uh, but I, you know, the love just went away for some reason. And then in the post-Gretzky era, it started to come back. It started to come back. You know, Robitaille left and came back and then left and then came back. Um, and then there was another few years where, you know, I was back into them and falling, even though they were for the most part, unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. The early part of this decade, the aughts, they played Colorado two years in a row in the playoffs. And uh, one was in the second round, one was in the first round. And each series went seven games, filled with drama, filled with excitement, even though Colorado, you know, back at the time, they were still fully loaded. They had Joe Sackich and uh, Peter Forsberg up front, and they had Patrick Waugh uh, in goal, the Kings' old nemesis. Uh, you know, the Colorado was a high-octane team in those days. The Kings hung with them and played some exciting series and lost two series in a row in seven games. And then everything just seemed to 
for one reason or another just kind of completely fade like my interest disappeared uh and they were off the map for seven years there was a strike year where there was no hockey being because played. after gretzky retire it, it, it's yeah. really got bad for a long time hasn't it well you mean for the league in general or for the kings, kings in general. uh i you know gretzky had been off the team by the mid 90s mm-hmm. and the kings did put some some good teams on the ice in the late 90s they had a couple of they had a couple of years where they had decent teams you know they had some interesting players Siplikov comes to mind joseph stumple then later on after he won a cup with the avalanche adam deadmarsh they, they, the kings had good people coming in uh you know not any real sustained success but they weren't a complete stranger to the playoffs so what what changed but, what where's what, what how did the turnaround happen in the last few i think well i was starting to to mention how like not long after the colorado upset like the second time it happened it definitely for me personally and just i think throughout the city they just kind of fell off the radar and they were gone for so long and they didn't make the playoffs for so long and then sandwiched in all those years there was that whole year where the nhl lockout lasted the entire year i'm not talking about this most recent one but i'm talking about when the other cba expired they didn't even have a award of stanley cup in 2005 because and so i think that cbs stands for collective bargaining, bargaining agreement, agreement. And, and i think that uh just the the fact that the team wasn't making the playoffs for such a long period. I don't, I don't know that they've ever gone anywhere near that long. I mean, it's seven years where they didn't make the playoffs, maybe even eight seasons. I can't remember. Uh, they were just completely off my radar. Yeah. And um, I think Lombardi, I don't know exactly when he came in, but when he came in, he knew that he needed to put the team back on the map. You're talking about Dean, uh, Dean Lombardi, Lombardi, the, the general, GM. general manager, yeah. Who, so who's the owners now? Anschutz, AEG, I think. Oh, okay. How long have they owned that team for? Good question. I'm not really sure. I'm not, you know, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years. I don't know if they bought Lombardi in or not. I don't know. I'm not, the business end of it, I'm not particularly I know that they always help to have owners who are committed to the team, but they don't do like micromanaging, get interfere. I don't think they do that, which is a great thing because as much as I have a respect for um, 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 Jerry Jones, the owner of Dallas Cowboy, I think he should have just stick with marketing, owning the team. But mm-hmm. the fact that he's a GM and, and do a decision for uh, personnel, I think that really hurt that franchise for a long time. So you have a situation, good ownership, and a great, great GM in Dean Lombardi. And I'm not a hockey guy, but I love everything I read about this guy. He was very successful at the San Jose Sharks, who uh, ironically... Um, Kings have played quite often recently yeah, playoff, and right. I think he knows a lot about how Sharks um, run their business. And for him to make, not only is he a uh, very talented evaluator of uh, talent, but uh, he made some bold move of changing the coach two years ago. Yeah, you, definitely. Do, do, you, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, he uh, he knew that he needed to start to... Well, what was the problem with the uh, other coach, Terry Murray? You went, Terry, very good. Yeah, Terry Murray had been the coach, and they had already started changing the culture back. Mm-hmm. They had already started to. He, Terry Murray might have actually been a good choice to get the team back on the right path. Sure, but to get them to the you know so next it, level, it, right? And um, you know, the coach, how much a coach can affect it? I, you know, I don't really know. I mean, it, the players are a huge part of it. Lombardi made some bold decisions. Terry Murray, they might have just uh, 
the old cliche, they might have just started tuning them out. They had... So they this got, is about two years ago that they fired him? I mean, Correct. December of 2011. Uh, one of the things that Terry, Terry Murray had uh, gotten the Kings back in the playoffs, they played a, uh, a very tough series against the Vancouver Canucks. That was 2010. In 2010, right. Yeah. Very good. And a tough series, but they got knocked out the following year. Kopitar had broken his leg, so they were without Kopitar. And they fell to the Sharks in six games, but another series where, you know, it was uh, it was a series that the, the Kings weren't necessarily uh, out of. They could have won. They lost a game. They were winning at home four to nothing. Mm-hmm. They scored four goals in the first period, wound up losing the game in overtime, I believe. Uh, you know, again, they didn't have Kopitar that series, and they were much more dependent on Kopitar then than they are now because they're a much better team now. So Terry Murray had gotten them back, but by the next season, by the 2011 2012 season they were halfway through the year and they were losing they were losing and they were losing with consistency they weren't getting any goal production out of the team and it was obvious that this team was starting to flatline so uh, Lombardi called his old buddy in San Jose Daryl Sutter Daryl Sutter had coached the Calgary Flames to within one game of the Stanley Cup championship in 2004 a series that they event they lost in seven games to Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, 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 Sutter so, had you go ahead. So when the GM Lombardi called him at that point, he still hasn't won Stanley Cup yet as a coach. I believe Sutter okay. was zero for one at that point. Okay. Yeah, the two with LA now are he's two for three. I, be, yeah. I believe that's correct because we know San Jose hasn't won a Stanley Cup. And, uh, yeah, he brought in Daryl Sutter, you know, and he was the And I guy. think at the time he was retired. I think he wasn't even, like, doing farming. He was in Alberta. He was back at the family ranch mm-hmm. or something. And, do, you know. Yeah. And he was so reluctant, right? Yeah, he was. Re- the, the You know, the information's out there. But, yeah, I, b- I believe he did tell Lombardi no at first. And Lombardi eventually convinced him. And now look where we, look where we are, you know. So tell, tell me a little bit about... Um, 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 Daryl Sutter, he, he's got a really interesting family background and uh, his, uh, you know, experience in NHL. He does. I don't know a, a terrible amount about Daryl Sutter, but he was part of uh, uh, his five five of his brothers, and uh, including himself. They were all in the NHL during the 1980s as a players, uh, as players, mm-hmm. and good players. You know, uh, Ron and crazy five brothers. <laughs> Ron and Rich were the twins, and Ron and Rich played for the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, Brian, I think, was with St. Louis. Daryl was with Chicago. Dwayne and Brent were with the Islanders. Yeah, there's did, did any of them win a Stanley Cup? Sure, absolutely. Dwayne and Brent won cups with the Islanders. I think Brent was there for maybe the last oh, one. Oh, so, so they're the one uh, part of that dynasty that won. Uh... Oh, yeah. Dwayne goes back to the to the Islander dynasty. I think Brent got the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dwayne was probably there for two, three, and four, or three and four. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, Brian Sutter, I want to say he played for the St. Louis Blues. They've never won a Stanley Cup. Uh, Ron and Rich Sutter played in a couple of Stanley Cups for the Flyers, but the Flyers lost to the Oilers each time they played them. So uh, I don't know if those have those guys have them. You know, and then there's also the possibility that one of the other guy, one of the brothers, might have been a coach or an assistant coach on a team that won a cup. But as players, uh, you know, I don't think Daryl Darryl didn't win one because the Hawks didn't return to a Stanley Cup final until the '90s, and Daryl was gone by then. He was I retired. See. 
So, but Dwayne. Okay. So, yeah, so obviously sure. he comes from a very pedigree family. For the- yeah, I mean the Sutter the Sutter family is the first family of the NHL. I mean, pretty in terms of like the sheer amount of members of the family. You know, one brood that's played in the league and had some pretty good success. So, what what do you think Lombardi saw in his friend? Uh, it's obviously not just a friend, but he obviously saw something in him to pick him over other coaches. Sure, I don't know specifically. He obviously felt like whatever Daryl had was you know, something that could really help motivate the team. Maybe he was looking at what Daryl was able to do with mm-hmm. Calgary in the cup push. Um, maybe it was just uh, you know, kind of a certain nepotism, like he felt like. But I remember when um, uh, Terry Murray got fired, I think I think the public was not happy with that decision, perhaps. Mm, and I don't know. know that that's true. I, I think everybody was okay with, with Terry Murray. I mean, the team wasn't winning. And the team, you know, for the last few years, the team, the way that they were developing Drew Doughty, the way that they were ve- developing Jonathan Quick in goal, some of these other players, the way that Andre Kopitar continued to um, gain respect. and uh, They were all uh, they were picks, right? The, the team was developing, correct. Mm-hmm. They're all system guys. And um, the way the team was developing, the, the franchise definitely was back on course. Sure. They were back in the playoffs, and the expectations were very high going into 2011. And uh, just the team wasn't winning. They weren't, whatever formulas weren't happening on the ice, weren't happening. And there was, a, the expectations were really growing. And Lombardi's like, you know, we got to change course. And now he looks like a genius because he brought in Daryl Sutter. Five months later, the Kings have their first Stanley Cup. Two years after that, they have another one. And last year was a strike-shortened season. Who knows what would have happened if they had a full season. Sure. Strike-shortened season, what did the Kings do? They went to the conference finals again. Now, they went down in five games. They went down, but they, they knocked out St. Louis in a tough series. They knocked out the San Jose Sharks in a very tough series. I mean, the Kings had, you know, the Kings have won Stanley Cups in 2012 and 2014. Obviously, nothing's going to top that. But sandwiched in the middle was a year that was a playoff run that was just as good as anything they'd done in the previous 47 years. So, I mean, Daryl Sutter has now won, I believe, 10 out of 11 playoff series. Jeez. 10 out of 11. And, um, and it's, now Dean Lombardi is looking like a genius. So now they have Drew Doughty and Jonathan Quick and a number of these other players that have matured and but they're still young. You know, now they've got two cups under their belt. Now they're dangerous. Mm-hmm. They're dangerous. Doesn't guarantee anything, but, I mean, they've got a nucleus of players now that can really do some damage over the next few years. It's so exciting. Let's, let's go back to that, like, uh, the first Stanley Cup championship season. So um, how long did it take before you realized, boy, we have something here with this new coach? Um, probably long before the playoffs started. And I think the tipping point was in March or February of that year. You know, the Kings were one of the most boring, low score, lowest scoring team so in the March league. March 2012. Right. Yeah. Right. When they got Jeff Carter. Mm-hmm. And how did they get Carter? They got Carter from the Columbus Blue Jackets. It must, oh, they got him for Jack Johnson, who was a defenseman that was coming up, American board defenseman, very well respected, very good player. Sure. But, you know, the Kings had a bounty of defensemen. They needed some guy that could put the puck in the net, and Jeff Carter was a very attractive choice. They brought him in. 
they got the goal production they needed. Now they didn't go from scoring one goal a game to ten goals a game. They they went from like one point five to three. He gave them, but he gave them a little more depth at forward, a little sure. more goal production, and <clears throat> that definitely was a massive reason. Take some of the pressure off of Kopitar, off of Justin Williams. You know, suddenly you can roll another line out there, and you put Jeff Carter on a line out there. You know, the other teams, what do we need to do to beat the Los Angeles Kings? Well, let's just shut down Kopitar. Let's just shut down Justin Williams, which teams can do all night long. But then you bring in a guy like Jeff Carter, suddenly you have more options. You have Daryl Sutter has more options to, to stack lines, put guys on lines together. It's, if I use American football reference, it's kind of like you have a too good wide receiver and you add in like another wide receiver or tight end. Absolutely. And it's defense have a hard time covering everyone. Exactly. I mean, it's just, it, you know, it's a number of guys that can score. So there's another example of how Lombardi looks like a genius. He did it again this year. The Kings are not scoring goals. They're going through prolonged stretches where they're they're not – they're averaging less than two goals a game. They got off to a great start this year, the best start in franchise history, and then they don't win for a friggin' month. So it's obvious they need somebody to balance the attack. They need, so they go out and they get Marion Gabrick. What does Marion Gabrick do? He leads all playoff scorers and goals. I think he scored 12 or 13 goals. I know he's from your which like slot. Oh, Slovenia good question. Or? I can't remember. I forget exactly where he's from. Slovenia, maybe. He started out with the Minnesota Wild. Mm-hmm. And he was very good there. And then he went on to the Rangers. I don't really know what happened with him at the Rangers. I know the injuries kind of plagued him when he was there. He may have even missed a, a I, close I, to I love season. this GM because he kind of reminds me what the New England Patriots for American football does. They will bring, they have a solid team, but they're missing like one play or two for that particular season. And they'll bring a veteran, voila, you know, yeah. and uh, change the to dynamic. Get him over the, change the dynamic. Absolutely. Well, the best example of that in hockey or one of the best examples, if you want to go back to the New York Islanders mm-hmm. and their rise, they came into the league in the early 1970s, uh, but they drafted, they, they had a couple of bad years right off the bat, as expansion teams do, and they drafted well, and within a few years, Bill Torrey, their famous GM, he had a, a cup contender within a very short period of time. But for two or three years in a row, they had dominant regular seasons, but they couldn't get past the first or second round of the playoffs. Yeah. They kept getting upset. One year, Toronto upset them. The Rangers upset them one year. They just couldn't get up. But then around that time, Butch Goring, who had been a star with the Los Angeles Kings, was available. And they went out and got Butch Goring to give them more depth at forward, a center that can score, a center that can pass, give them just another dynamic that would put them over the top. They go out and get Butch Goring. What do they do? They win a Stanley Cup and three more after that. He gets them four rings. So uh, that's probably the most blatant example of having a great team, a core team that you've put together uh, that's on the verge of winning a championship and competing for it, but that needs just one little extra element, and they go out and get it. I mean, you know, after the fact, it's, you know, 2020, of course, you think, like, of course, that's the move that you need to do. But when you have a great general manager like Lombardi, it's amazing, like, for him to know these piece of work, you know, and uh, yeah, he, for he's sure. definitely... I have, he's doing his homework. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter what sports it is, every successful franchise have that GM, talent evaluator that know exactly what they take to tweak around and make it better, you know. Uh, tweak, uh, yeah. That's, def- that's definitely a big part of the analysis. You know, you're looking at what, what does the team need? That's what you're doing as a GM. Like, sure. what do we need? What elements are we missing? And... 
with the Kings, you know, they were able to build a system based on defense, based on goaltending. And the thing that just kept plaguing them is goal production. They're the lowest scoring team in the league. They went through periods where they weren't scoring at all. They were losing games that, you know, they were in, but they just couldn't score. And the greatest irony of all is that these playoffs start and the identity of the team completely changes. And they start giving up goals. Uh, Quick, although he's often spectacular in games, you know, his numbers start to rise. But now there's all kinds of goal production. Gabrick scores scores like crazy. There's some kids from the minors that they bring up that are tremendously productive. Tyler Toffoli, Tanner Pearson. And they wind up leading all NHL teams in goals scored in the in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But, so it's just kind of yeah. an interesting irony that this cup was more about, although there were those gritty 3-2, 2-1 games, certainly, as evidenced last night. There were shutouts along the way, for sure. You know, the Kings played 26 postseason games, but the scoring was up, goals allowed and goals for. That's tied for the record, right? It is tied, but the one distinguishing characteristic of the fact that that is the most, the the Kings tied the record for most postseason games played in a single postseason, the Kings are the only team to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. The other two teams that did it didn't win the Stanley Cup. So go back, you're saying that you noticed that uh, first Stanley Cup, around March, you noticed like a change in the team. Like that's what you were saying, tipping point. Well, Jeff Carter, for sure. Yeah. So um, Carter, Carter, did you know in. then that, that this team could win a Stanley Cup? Yeah, the, it had been building. It had been building like even as far back as 2010 mm-hmm. when the Kings returned to the playoffs just because you know, everybody was coming back from everybody, the fans. Uh, people were starting to come back and take notice of these exciting players that the Kings had. Drew Doughty, Jonathan, the emergence of Jonathan Quick. The Kings went on a road trip in January of 2010. They won all five games on the road trip. Wow. First time they've only done, I mean, you know, they'd go they'd go a whole season where it didn't seem like they won five games on a road trip. Uh, and a lot of other things were happening, too, that were positive, that were both on and off our radar. And it wasn't long after that. Was saying, Dean Lombardi is building a system here. He's changing the culture here, and he wants to win Stanley Cups here. He wants to put the Kings back on the map. and Getting rid of that losing culture, too. Getting rid of it, because they had... I'm Literally, I, uh, like I was telling you a few minutes ago, they, they, if you count that year of the strike, the two, the two years in a row where Colorado knocked them off, then the year... I mean, there was eight years where you didn't even know there was a team playing here. I mean, it was even, you know, even the terrible teams of the 80s, yeah. the the purple and gold, there still was, you know, an awareness that, you know, there was uh, hockey being played at the Forum. But I didn't know anybody that was going to games at that time. And I had grown up to be a huge fan. And I didn't know and I didn't care. I, I went to, uh, I think I went to one or two games during that stretch. And... You know, you turn around and Lombardi has completely reimagined the team, the owners, Tim Laiwicki. They've completely... Tim Laiwicki's the president. Luke Robitaille's now a suit. They they changed the culture, and even as far back as 2010, 2011, the word Stanley Cup started coming into the into the lexicon. So by 2012, they got it. Let's talk for a moment, 2011-2012 uh, playoff. So, because... The way Kings won the Stanley Cup first time and the, and the second one, it's a different road, wasn't it? It's, it's completely different. It's completely different. Uh, it's it, you couldn't have more of a contrast. Um, yeah, Quick was brilliant throughout 
this playoffs here in this Not year. Not as quick as the goalie. Or uh, the Kings goaltender. Yeah. Uh, you know, but he was in 2011-2012. In he pretty much just took the team, threw him on his back, and he said, I'm not going to give up any goals. You guys just go out and scratch for a goal, scratch for two. And, you know, the defense was magnificent that year as well. Of course, you're nothing without your D. But uh, Jonathan Quick pretty much was lights out, and the Kings just steamrolled their way to a Stanley Cup. In Here's a couple of interesting facts about that mm-hmm. season 2012 playoff, that every series they were up 3-0. There's so many. There's facts within facts. There's um, There's astonishing facts layered upon astonishing facts they they finished the eighth seed they're playing the one two three seed uh they win the first two games on the road in four consecutive series mm-hmm. four consecutive series they're coming home with a two games to none advantage home and road meant nothing to them they went 10 and one on the road during the drive to the ten and one. 10 and one on the road they lost a two to one game they were they were a win away from winning their first Stanley Cup in New Jersey, and they lost a game two to one. Um, it went right down to the wire. Of course, Drew Jod- Drew Doughty got a shot off at the buzzer, and you know it didn't get through. It was saved by Berdour, and the Devils were able to preserve the win. But I mean, they were within an eyelash of going eleven and zero on the road, tying that game, giving themselves a chance to win it possibly. Well, it didn't happen, but they went up three zero in every series, winning that third game at home. Two times they weren't able to close. The in the Vancouver series, the Canucks, has that ever happened before? No, I don't think any of it's ever happened. I mean, I don't think it'll ever happen again. Where in f- you'll be the road team in four straight series and you'll win the first two every time. They're eight zero in those two, four, six, eight. And here's another interesting fact: yeah. they, uh, they beat the first place team, second place team, and third place team. It's never been down. That was never the first time in 117 years of NHL at that point. It's just. I mean, that's not supposed to happen. I mean, if the sabermetricians, it just, you, you put that in a computer, that just, it won't compute. It just won't happen. And now here we are two years later, and there's a whole set of different things that they did this year that wouldn't have computed. We'll come to that. But, yeah, they go up 3-0 in every series. They don't close Vancouver. They don't close Phoenix. Doesn't matter. They go back to Vancouver. They go back to Phoenix. Each of those respective games, they win in overtime. Mm-hmm. Jared Stoll wins the series against Vancouver. Dustin Penner wins that series in overtime against Phoenix, puts the Kings mm. back in the final for the first time and at that point, which was uh, 19 years at that point. So, and St. Louis, they swept. a very And they swept very good teams, a very good Phoenix team. They beat in five games. They sweep a very good St. Louis team in the second round. They beat a phenomenal Vancouver team. I mean, it's, uh, it's crazy. And they were, uh, they were a heartbeat away from... Being able to sweep all those teams in each of those games, but sure, you know it. It's just incredible. Now it's two years later, and they go on a playoff run that couldn't be more different. They play probably the two worst playoff games they've played in the last few years. No team has played more playoff games, by the way, than the Los Angeles Kings over the last three years. And I say the last five years. Tack on those twelve games from the previous two years: the six and say the six from twenty ten and the six from twenty. Well, by the way, which which was more satisfactory in Stanley Cup? First one or this one? This one, because it the was one. there was so much peril. The first one was about you know playing. The first one was like they just were going in and locking people down. They were suffocating people and winning all these close games, and it was great. It was wonderful, and but they were playing against history, a history of you know not unsuccessful seasons and disappointments. And they were eighth place, right, first time around. That's right. They were eighth. That's a little misleading, and that's the one fact that's overplayed a little bit by the quote-unquote pundits because they lost on the last game of the season. The Kings lost an overtime game 
in San Jose. They scratched out a point. If they would have gotten another point, I think Phoenix won a game on the road that night. Those points go differently. Phoenix loses that game in regulation or or the Kings win their game and the Kings would have finished higher. Literally, it's... It's overplayed a little bit that the Kings finished eighth because if I remember my history correctly, the Kings were like a couple of things on that last night, putting them in fourth place. That's a you know it's a little melodramatic to, but regardless of all that, they were still a lower seed than all the teams they had to face. They didn't have home ice in any series. In fact, this series against the Rangers was the first time that they've had home ice in a playoff series, I think, since the nineties. Is that right? They haven't had home ice. They didn't have it against Detroit in the early part of the decade. The two Colorado. I don't believe so. I believe this. Yeah, 2010, they didn't have it. 2011, they didn't have it. In those years, they got knocked out. Simply because they had a better record than Rangers. Correct. And I think they finished four points. I think it was 100 points to 96. Oh, wow. The Kings had a. I believe that's. It was a four point differential. So it was close. Yeah, this is the first series. But, it, you know, home and road, if you look at the numbers. I don't think it would have mattered with No. Team. No, I mean the Kings went eight and six in the playoffs mm-hmm. on the road this year, which is terrific. Anybody would take that, you know, compared to what they did in 2010. It's crap because in 2010 they went ten and one. So obviously they almost went eleven and zero. First time around it was easier, but let's go by a, a step by step. So first series that they played was against was it um, was it San Jose? They played? you're talking about this year. This year, yeah. This year was San Jose, and you, you'll know exactly. Which they were was. down all three. They lost the first three games, playing two terrible games to start it, uh, where they couldn't have looked worse. They got beat 6-3 and 7-2, respectively. And the 6-3 game wasn't even that close. And then they lost a tough overtime game that they were winning, a game I, I was at, by the way. Uh, the only playoff game I made, they lost in overtime on a bad deflection. And they were down 0-3. When, when you ask uh, casual fans... If their team lose, which scenario do you f- they prefer? They say a lot about that uh, uh, that person when they choose one of these two situations. So there are games where uh, I'll give you an example in basketball. The team loses by twenty-five to thirty points, and there's another scenario they would lose by one point. Uh, I know I noticed that most of my friends would say, "Well, if they're going to lose, I'd rather see my team lose by thirty points." Yeah. But I I I always differ with them by saying I'd rather see my team lose by one point, simply because even though they lose, it tells me that team was competitive to the very end. Right, I understand. Yeah, and and, and to they, me, you had you you had a dog in the fight. Yeah, they kept you enthralled for the length of the game. And my impression was, even though they were down, they lost three games. I think the team was still competitive. In that, and 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 I don't think the um, the coach lost faith in the team which is which is uh unbelievable because i think most casual fan and people who are outside of the organization probably thought oh they're going to lose the series i don't think well, that, sure, that, yeah. I, I don't think that team never doubt themselves that's the amazing thing about this team the quotes that you'll hear from the players like drew dowdy the quotes that you'll hear from the players about that game three loss to san jose that put them down on three was it was a game that they felt they could have and should won have it. won and that was a big motivator and one of the reasons why they were able to come out and win that fourth game. I don't remember exactly where my head was at in that fourth game. Obviously, I was... I was Disappointed. Think, 
Uh, well, the fourth, the, the fourth game, the one that the Kings won, the first playoff win of the postseason, I felt like the Kings had a decent chance to win it. I wasn't of the mindset like, well, I hope we win tomorrow so we won't get swept. My mindset was, I'm hoping we win tomorrow. Uh, I didn't know if, if they would or not, but I was hoping that they would win tomorrow, meaning the fourth game, right. because I knew for a fact that the that when the series would go back for a game five to San Jose, that I was going to see a much different Kings team than I did in games one and two where they got their asses handed to them and fell behind 0-2. I knew that that game five was probably going to tilt back for the Kings, just looking at the trends, the ability of the team. And sure enough, they won that fourth game to stave off elimination. They went back to San Jose and shut the Sharks down in a 3 nothing shutout. Uh, and then, of course, from there, they're back in at that point. Psychologically, there's a big tilt. Momentum, there's a big tilt. They come back and they win a... They play a spirited game in L.A. San Jose makes a goaltending change. They put Staylock in instead of Niemi. Niemi had won a Stanley Cup with Chicago in 2010. They make a goaltending change, and uh, it doesn't work. And the Kings win that game. And now we're in a Game 7 back in San Jose. And I think um, we're all human. I'm sure... I'm sure, you know. I'm sure they were panicking. Probably, you know, uh, the oh, pressure yeah. was uh, definitely on them. You know, it definitely shifted back to San Jose. You, it was really palpable. You, you could tell after that fifth game, after that, because you know the Sharks had lost the fourth game. Whatever, they're going back three-one. They have a chance to close it out on a Saturday night in front of twenty thousand. You know, totally amped Sharks fans. Just I'm sure they were thinking the that. beat LA thing yeah. going on and. They got shut down, and they got shut down bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember that game too vividly, but I don't think there was ever really um, a time in that game where the Kings were in any real kind of trouble, penalty-wise, not, not that I could recall. And it was a, it was just qu- quick, was totally money that night. And leaving San Jose, coming back to L.A. for a game six, then that's when people started to have to talk to them. Because let's face it, talk, talk to themselves, because let's face it, uh, you know, 03 ain't what it used to be. I mean, it's a league of parity and a lot of teams. Sure. With some, it, 03 is not what it used to be. Philadelphia and uh, Boston went through it. Boston was up three games to none over Philadelphia in 2010. The Flyers came back to win all four straight. And by the way, we might have talked about this, but Jeff Carter and Mike Richards were on that Philadelphia team that came back on the Bruins. Although Jeff Carter was injured. Mm-hmm. So Mike Richards is the only player in professional sports to have experienced that twice, or he's on a team that came down, that came back from an 0-3. He's deficit. also the one that said a lot of N-word during the Stanley Cup, right? Constant. Oh, that's a different Michael Richard. <laughs> <laughs> right. Although his nickname should be Kramer now that you mention it. <laughs> they should call him Kramer. Yes. Yes, virulent racism on the Los Angeles Kings. It's unfortunate, but... <laughs> For those of you, Michael Richard from Seinfeld went to Laugh Factory and uh, having a terrible show. And uh, I think he was being uh, funny and, and uh, goofy. He started saying the N-word. And uh, I don't think he's racist. He's just not uh, used to doing stand-up comedy. So out of panic, he thought he was being funny. And yeah. he would have he gone away. Unfortunately, it was a pretty early stage of people using cell phones, taking footage of it. Right. And the rest of the history. But uh, unfortunately uh, for him, and uh, I don't think he's racist. He, he, I think he just panicked. Oddly, there was one person in the audience that really enjoyed it. Donald Sterling was there that night. And he was <laughs> he was he was there smiling ear to ear. 
But anyway, um, um, yeah. So that O three, the O three thing, and uh, I think the Kings started getting inside their heads after grabbing that game. Oh yeah. Even at the game seven, um, even even if the Kings lost, I mean they give their fight. The pressure was obvious on San Jose. It and was on. Let's be honest. Last five or seven years, they have a tendency to choke. Oh, further than that too. San Jose definitely has. Uh, I mean, I heard it characterized after the Kings did complete the comeback as absolutely positively the most devastating loss in the team's history. They had had a number of playoff disappointments, and they had had nothing but regular season success for a very long time. Yeah. I, they, they might be the winningest team in the NHL in the regular season over the last 10 or 15 years, which is a testament to just how great that front office is. But they, you know, the playoffs are another animal, and they've really got that... Um, They've got that albatross around their neck. They haven't been able to advance in the playoffs. They've had many, many playoff disappointments, but this was a this was a, a massive kick to the cojones that they got. Yeah, they didn't make it happen. They chose. can I ask you something. If you're a GM for San Jose, what would you have to do to change that uh, franchise around? You know, I'm not. I just don't know teams as well as I should. I just don't. I I don't know. I think that maybe they're a little bit older, but I really don't know. I mean, Joe Thornton's getting up there. Patrick Marlowe's getting up there, but I, I don't know. I don't see enough of those teams to really, you know, weigh in on any way that that could be, that could really answer that question. I'm just surprised they haven't won Stanley Cup, knowing that they had pretty decent team. For haven't even game. haven't even been to a final yet. I I feel like they can get there. Uh, they've got some goaltending issues. It's hard to say. They've got great fans. They've got fans that care. They um they've they consistently put exciting teams out there. They've got young guys like this Hurdle guy who uh, is out of Long Beach, uh, Logan Couture. Uh, did they get De rid Demers. of uh, GM Dean Lombardi? Did they fire him or they, did he quit? Don't know. Hmm. Don't know. Doug, Doug Wilson is their GM now, and uh, Todd McClellan's their head coach. I like Todd McClellan. He's a good coach. Uh, don't know. I don't know what happened with Dean Lombardi. It probably was during a time where I wasn't following the league. It too kind closely. of it's interesting, especially it non-Kings. It's interesting because that that the, the general manager for San Francisco Giants, who won two World Series in the last what five seven years, yeah, five, he five, used. Yeah. I think he used to be the GM for Dodgers. Mm -hmm. He went from Dodgers to San Francisco, and we we have a situation where we had a GM from San Jose come into um, LA Kings. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, oh, that's interesting. Um, so. I was very happy, and I knew when I heard that they won that I knew you were very, very pleased and happy. Oh God! And uh, because uh, what's her name? The wife for L.A. Times, Helen, uh, Helene Elliott. I Helene think. She. Uh, I really enjoy reading her article because she's really tough and uh, you know give a uh, blunt talk. And uh, she basically said they need to this, 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 and that, and to come back and win the series. And well, sure enough, they pretty much did exactly what she was saying. So they beat the San Jose, and who did they play next? I don't remember. They played uh, the Anaheim Ducks. That's right. The Civil War. I was down in the medical lab, stuck down in Anaheim, and all the talks was everybody was uh, rooting for Ducks, you know? And, like, uh, I was one of the few people, like, rooting for Kings. But um, uh, so let's talk a little bit about that series. What was your impression of that series? Well, it was a daunting task. I mean, the Anaheim Ducks had a monster season. They were phenomenal at home. What What's their strength and weakness? Uh, strong in all areas. Uh, I'd have to really, you know, maybe defensively, mm -hmm. they're not quite on the level of like a team like the Kings, but they have 
arguably the two most talented forwards in the league and Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff. Um, they just have a wonderful core of scorers. I mean, throughout the regular season, they were a, a much more effective and consistent team offensively than the Kings and just about anybody else. I sure. Mean, they're an exciting team. They got off to a record-breaking start at home. They didn't lose a home game in regulation. Their first 20-some games, 23, whatever it was, they were extremely dominant at home. They're a terrifically coached team. Bruce Boudreaux, uh, just very solid in all areas. Maybe not quite a lot of experience on defense. Uh, good goalies. At one point, they were they had a bounty of goaltenders. Not just Jonas Hiller, but they had also had um, uh, this this kid John Gibson, who came in in the playoffs. And uh, Frederick Anderson, Swedish goaltender, that was putting up good numbers. I mean, it was just, it really was a, a bonanza of great, great young people on that team. Uh, Were they more physical than San Jose? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't know. I can't, I don't really know. There's a couple of games I was like, damn, they're, they're uh, going at it. Yeah, real good question. I think Chicago was more physical than either the Ducks or the Sharks. Mm-hmm. I think Chicago could get very physical. Um, that's one element I'm not quite as cognizant of as I am some of the more, the obvious things like, you know, carrying the puck and special teams, goaltending things, things are a little easier to, to categorize, but, um, Anaheim. Yeah. Tremendous series. Kings won the first two games in Anaheim. Uh, the arena was filled with Kings fans. Uh, the Kings win three out of four games there, including a seventh game there where they, take ass and kick names they come out and they pummeled the sharks the sharks come up with a push in the third period but they were just down by too many goals mm-hmm. uh tanner pearson has a great night jeff carter has a great night scores an unbelievable goal on a breakaway uh quick solid just uh, one of the great efforts of the series you know a close series the kings had lost uh two of the three games that they played at staples center the ducks won shutting the kings out in one the ducks uh had the Kings behind the eight ball, uh, ready to eliminate the Kings in a sixth game, and the Kings were able to scratch out a 2-1 victory, forcing that seventh game where the Kings came in and uh, and pounded the Ducks right in the ice with an exclamation point. 6-2, to two, which is huge in this day and age, especially the seventh game of playoffs. For some reason, once I, I, I uh, watching the game, realized they're going to game seven, I, I just didn't doubt the Kings not going to beat those guys. I felt good about it because yeah. those were not necessarily road games. Sure. You know, I felt good about that, you know, and even though the Kings can win anywhere, it doesn't matter where it is. I mean, they've they've done it with just these phenomenal postseason road games. But uh, you, I did feel like staying off a plane, staying mm-hmm. out of hotels was always helpful. Do you, do you think in hockey, home court advantage matters as much as other sports? No. No. I don't know that it really matters that much in baseball either. I mean, football does for sure. Football, I'll take your word for that because you're a football aficionado. Um, well, look at what the Seattle Seahawks done to their visiting teams, you know. There's a couple of intangible mm-hmm. teams. Otherwise, you know, look, every every team in any season, in any sport, every team is going to have at least a slightly better home record than road record. Yeah. Sure, there's an anomaly from time to time, but it's 99% of the time a team is going to be, even if they're great on the road, they're still going to be slightly better at home. So I think there is a very small sliver of a you, you get to make the last line change. You have all your facilities right there. 
travel is an issue. Sure. It means very, very little. And it, But in the playoffs, you know that every game is so important. It's short enough, usually. Although this year wasn't one. Um, anyway, doesn't really mean that much. So, um, um, Kings beat to Anaheim, game seven. Another two, that's two series in a row now where they won the seventh game on the road. The Sharks series, they were trailing that game. Irwin scored a goal, and they were actually down one nothing to San Jose in that in that seventh game. But they came roaring back, won that game five to one. Sure. So now that's already like unbelievable. That's two successive playoff series where they've had to play a seventh game on the road. Sure, Anaheim is not, you know, it's not like going into the Montreal Forum in 1977 and uh, playing, you know, playing playing. Uh, you know, a road a road game, you know, it's 30 miles down the highway. Yeah. But it's still a pretty remarkable thing to go into another team's barn and, and win one, especially with such authority. Now, here's the tough challenge. The Blackhawks, because right. they're the team that eliminated the Kings the year before. Yep. And actually, the one of the game I went with you, I was really impressed by the Hawks because they pretty much shut down the Kings. Twenty ten was they. That? They did. That was you know that was a few. Uh, some of the personnel has changed. At that time, Niemi was their goaltender, the Sharks goalie that the Kings got to in this round. At that time, they were still kind of an emerging force. But you know, Joe Quenville was managing that, was coaching them, and they would go on to win their first of two Stanley Cups that year. Um, Oddly enough, that year they did lose a lot of people because of the the salary cap. They were only able to protect a small core, mm-hmm. you know, the Andrew Shaws and the Patrick Sharps and you know Kane and Taze and those those cats. But they did have to change a lot. Uh, but they were able to win a cup two years after that. Now it was interesting. Um, weren't the Kings ahead in a series? Uh, uh, weren't they like three and zero or something like that? Uh, not three and zero. The Kings did go up three one. They lost the first game. In Chicago, uh, a game that the Kings played very well in. Yeah. Very, it was a 3-1 loss, but the, King, the Kings played very well. The Kings did win the next game, uh, putting together, falling behind 2 nothing, something that the Kings never did, but started to do with regularity in this year's postseason pushes, fall behind 2 nothing. That would have normally meant lights out, but the irony within an irony is, well, guess what? The Kings are going to come back. Like four times they came back from 2 no- two nothing to a Kings team of the recent past is like losing 5 nothing. But it didn't seem to matter this year because they kept coming back. Well, they wound up taking a... Uh, a two nothing deficit and turning it into a victory in that second game, and then coming back to Staples and winning two, winning a game four to three, and then uh, winning the next game. I believe it was uh, five to two, some five to two, five to three, something like that, forcing a fifth game back in Chicago where they could have closed the Blackhawks out. So they were up three one at that point. They were up three one. Right. So now they were the ones in danger of letting a series slip away, and they almost did. They. Went to Chicago. But can I can I tell you? Oh some, yeah, please uh, go ahead. My general impression after the first game when they lost, ah, uh, was it? Who did I read? It it seemed was when they lost the first game to Chicago. Yeah, it it, it was like here we go again, kind of thing, you know. And, In what uh, way? Here we go again. Well, they thought that the Chicago might just beat them out of the series. Oh, you mean meaning like yeah, this is where the luck runs out. Yeah, this is where okay, Kings, you've won these two dramatic rounds, but. Now we're going to give you your reality check. Right. Sure, you had to feel that way. Even though the Kings played very well and did kind of outplay the Hawks 
Yeah, you had to feel that. And I can't say the guy's name. Uh, Marion Gabrick. Gabrick. Or uh, Gaborik. Gaborik. He is the big factor that uh, changed the... You're more dynamic up front. Mm. Ve- you know, veteran goal scorer. Um, just a guy, another gun. Just like Jeff Carter was that other gun that they could use to propel them deeper sure. into the playoffs. You know, it gives you a lot more options. Also, it, it's, it should be noted, this guy, Tanner Pearson, he's only 20 or 21 years old. They gave him a debut in the playoffs last year. He took a couple of shifts in a game, I believe, against the Sharks last year. Yeah. Uh, but this year they started to introduce him, and the kid has been nothing less than unbelievable. And they put him on a line with Tyler Toffoli. The two had been line mates down in Manchester. Obviously had some success down there, and it carried over into the playoffs here in 2014. Pearson was phenomenal. And suddenly Toffoli, whose goal productions had vanished for a long time, a lot of early promise, but then suddenly he wasn't producing. Well, he started scoring big goals again. They put him on a line together, and they teamed up for an unbelievable goal against San Jose. Pearson and Toffoli gave them an even even more options. Sutter had even more options, so he's got ve- a veteran goal scorer in Gaborik, puts him on a line with Kopitar. He's got Tyler Toffoli and Tanner Pearson playing on a line with Jeff Carter. They nicknamed him that 70s line because Toffoli's number 73, Pearson's 70, and Jeff Carter 77. Ah. So. Uh, but then, you know, Sutter, they'll mix those lines up a lot. Um, you know, he pair up Pearson with a bunch of different guys, and, you know, who know who knew what Sutter was going to roll out there? Anyway, long-winded, but that gave Sutter a lot more options up front. So what was going through you after they lose five in game six? Well, uh, they lost, interesting thing, game five, they're back in Chicago, they're up 3-1, they can close out Chicago, they can dethrone the champs mm-hmm. and get back into the final. They immediately fall behind 2 nothing again. And again, they come back. Um, I forget how the scoring played out after that, but the game wound up going to overtime. The first overtime is absolutely thrilling. There's eight minutes where there isn't a whistle. It's one of the most goddamn exciting hockey games you'll ever see in your life. They lose. They have a breakdown in the second overtime, and they lose when an ex-king named Michael Hanzus cuts into the slot, goes in, goes in and backhands it upstairs past quick. And they lose the game. But what the hell? They're coming home. They can close out the Hawks. They don't play that great. Uh, Chicago gets into some penalty trouble. The Kings get a couple of power play goals to take a lead. The Kings are up 3-2 to two with like nine minutes left. And then the champs take over. Chicago ties it up. And then uh, Patrick Kane, their fire plug, gets them a lead. Another Another tremendous goal with, I don't know, maybe four minutes left, and the Hawks suddenly have a 4-3 lead, and they hang on to it and force a seventh game back in Chicago. So now it's they're going to have to do it again, another road seven. And I was thinking to myself, I'm just thinking in terms of sabermetrics, and I'm thinking there's no computer in the world that's going to give you a way. I mean, it's, there's no way that this can this cannot happen. Another fucking road game, seventh game, Remember um, a couple of years ago that one baseball season, everything just happened that one particular ga- day, you know. Oh they, yeah, yeah, that last day of the year, right? It, the it, Yankees and the Rays, the Red Sox. When the, the Red Devil Sox Rays collapsed and, uh, in uh, in that September, yeah. It's it, there was that a span of like hour and a half, two hours a bit. All yeah. this stuff that 
Yeah. Statistically shouldn't happen. Oh, yeah. That's happened. And I always tell people, sports is the greatest reality show because it's unscripted and you will see things that defy math. I'll do you one better and I wish I could read it, but um, do you remember a few years ago, God, what's that guy? Tom Verducci wrote a book with Joe Torre called The Yankee Years. Yeah. And in that book, book. you'll remember they talk about the night, the Steve Bartman night was... The same was like a day before, a day after the Aaron Boone night when Aaron Boone hit that home run. And they go into minute detail about all the scenarios, the scenarios of teams. Can we go detail? The Yankees were playing the Boston Red Sox. In game seven at Yankee Stadium. Right. But the the details are too minute to go over. I I wouldn't be able to recall all of it. But but just the the, the teams involved, the the, situational, the series involved. Those two series between Florida and the Cubs, there was there was actually a statistic in that book that talked about the mathematical probability of those two events playing out the way they did, and it being something like astronomically remote. I mean, the chances of you buying a winning lottery ticket and hitting the hitting the lottery. I mean, literally something on, on the level that would just blow your mind in terms of the. Anyway, so that's how I saw that seventh road game for the Kings. Yeah. Oh, and that, I, that third and, straight and, and, and I remember you texting me. You didn't say they're going to lose, but you, you said something like you were not very optimistic. How could I be? Yeah. I mean, I, at some point, the Kings were defying the odds. They were, mm-hmm. they were bucking the odds of the trends, the law of averages that I think comes into play. And I just couldn't see it happening. I mean, three road sevens. I just couldn't see it happening. I didn't. I mean, I felt like they had a chance because they had. But also at the same time, I was kind of buoyed by the fact that they had they had started to develop another trend of defeating the trends that, you know, like I was looking at things and I was like, well, but they did it. They did it here and they did it here. So shit, they can do it again. It, it's a very bizarre dynamic. And, and, and then how did the game run? The game seven. Against Chicago? <sighs> well, we know how it ended. I know they won, uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to think, how did that game play out? Um, was there a point where she started feeling like, oh, my God, they're going to win this damn game? Well, whenever you go to overtime, it's a coin toss. Yeah. Um, you could say goodbye to home court advantage. The pressure's you, on them. Absolutely. Goodbye to home court advantage. I just turned to Tracy and Damon, and I said, well, we'll either win or we'll lose. Mm-hmm. You know. And I'm just trying to think who had the lead, what was going on. It's so funny. I remember so many of the games in this run, run vividly. But I'm trying to remember specifically what happened in that one, and I'm blanking. Of course, the Kings did win the game in overtime, and, and here's an omen you go to for you. Overtime, it's sudden death. Whoever scored the first, that's and it. you just throw anything in the net. You throw garbage at the net. You hope for a deflection, and yeah. they threw garbage at the net, and you got a deflection. And guess who scored that goal? Number 27, Alec Martinez. A little foreshadowing of what was to come a couple weeks later. That went down last night. Alec Martinez is the first player in history. To put his team into the play into the final with an overtime goal, and then win the final with an overtime goal. It's, oh, I uh, didn't know that. Yeah, it's the first time that's ever happened. I mean, it's you know the Stanley Cup has been won in overtime a number of times. Um, at this point, at this point, it's been around 119 years, right? About 119, 120 years. I suppose so. You know, the Stanley Cup was played for another before the formation of the mm-hmm. National Hockey League. The cup, the, the the Stanley Cup was played for in other leagues. Yeah. Um, and then the, once the National Hockey League was able to consolidate power, it it brought that in. But it, I I don't know. I think I think 
the cup was awarded is back in the 1800s with and, the Ottawa and, Silver and Seven. And, and this is the, one of those things that makes me so bitter because I, I, my home team's in Seattle. Uh, Seattle actually won a Stanley Cup, the Metropolitan. Yeah, that's it? right. Yeah, and Seattle then, uh, has a Stanley Cup. And we had Seattle Seahawks won the NBA championship. Both of those teams. Sonics. Sonics. They, they left. And, right. And, uh, well, what happened to Metropolitan? Did they dis- disappear? Uh, I move? can't. I mean, that was so. I mean, you're talking about World War One. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I don't really know the exact story. We'd have to Wikipedia exactly what happened. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> so they beat them. And, uh, I was like, very happy because, uh, uh, it was incredible. That was almost like the, each round felt like the Stanley Cup final. It feels like the Kings have played four Stanley Cup finals. It does. It really does feel like. And it. talk about because sweet of the intensity. Revenge to beat the team that beat them year before. Yeah, so definitely. definitely. So that's a very bittersweet way to go to the Stanley Cup. It absolutely is. And Chicago, outside of knocking the Kings out in an overtime game last year, Taze and Kane teaming up for the killer. Outside of that, they've been dominating the Kings in the regular season. The Kings, you know, the Kings put their banner up to start the year last year. They had their their opening game in Chicago. Was there? In Ch- Chicago beat them, spoiled the party. But outside of that, Chicago has been getting the better of the Kings for a long time now. So it was very satisfying to see sure. that. Uh, incredibly satisfying, and it felt like it really did feel like it was so unbelievable that they had done that the way they went about doing it. It almost. I, I want it certainly didn't make the the final feel anticlimactic, but it did feel like a Stanley Cup in its own right. Sure. It's I mean it's just an an unbelievable postseason run. So I, I was excited because here we go again. They beat New Jersey two years ago. Now they're playing a team near there, which is New York City. Mm-hmm. And uh what an exciting matchup to see two major cities of the world. Yeah, definitely the New York City Rangers and uh, LA um Kings and um, first time a championship had been uh, contested for by a New York City team and an LA team since the Dodgers and Yankees played in the 1981 World Series. Now you could say like the Mets and the Dodgers played in the NLCS in '88, but the first time a trophy, you know, a championship mm-hmm. trophy was on the line. Is it the Knicks and the Lakers had played, the Dodgers and the Yankees had played, but it was the first time since 1981 where a championship was on the line. So, right. yeah, it was very exciting. And, and as happy as I am, I wish it would have gone to Game 7 in the Kings. Won. Not me. <laughs> Not me. Because the way they were beating the Rangers, it, it was just, it was a manhandle, you know. I don't. Uh, no, I don't agree. Uh, game 3, you know, the Kings did have control of that game. But the first two games, the Rangers could have easily won. The Rangers came mm. came storming out, took a two nothing lead in the game one, had a four two lead in game two, um, won game four, had a two one lead halfway through the game last I, night. I guess you're right. I mean, game two, Rangers should have won, but I was shocked. Even with a bad game, Kings could just came back and beat them. It ju- it just felt like no matter what the Rangers did, the Kings were going to find a way to win those games. And that's got to be really tough on uh, Rangers and Rangers fans, yeah. you know. Um, well, because I I don't I don't have anything bad to say about him. I mean, just no. I I was really impressed with you know that Lundqvist is world class. I feel I and feel bad for him. It is. I mean, I, all as rep- much as I'm happy the Kings won. Exactly. I feel the same way. I mean, you know, look, nothing's gonna every nothing uh, nothing's gonna get in the way of 
wanting the Kings to win a Stanley Cup. But you know, all the all the indications are, all the reports are that Lundqvist took it real. I mean, he's taken it real hard. Yeah, you know? and he threw that team on his back. They played with a lot of courage. Um, there's no reason to think the Rangers won't be good again for a while. Uh, they played a great series, even though I, I'm I'm convinced now more than ever that the right team won. But they gave the Kings a real tough battle. It was a four-one series. But anybody will tell you. You read any blog or listen to any interview. Anybody will tell you it was a four-one series. But I mean, the Rangers were in every every one of those games except one. It, it, it's tough, and it takes a great team and mentally tough team to come back like that. Because uh, as we speak tonight, uh, since it's Sunday now, um, in NBA, the Miami Heat is playing the San Antonio Spurs. They're down. Three one, and you know, I got crushed. In they the got game. crushed at home, and, and uh, two games in a row. And um, you know, Spurs devastating loss last year. I mean, the game six they should have won. Ray Allen is who plays for Miami Heat. Made that incredible three point shot, took them into overtime, beat them, come back to game seven, win uh, yeah. uh, the NBA championship. So, um, but Spurs are just mentally tough. They came back and looks like if if um, if any all the indication tells me, it's not looking good for Heat. They could surprise us, come back and win next three. But if I hate to say it, but if I have to give my gut feeling that Spurs is most likely going to win, I think it ends tomorrow. Yeah, or today. Um, uh, now San Antonio, this will be their fifth title or their sixth title. This is they'll be fifth. Wow, that's amazing. That's a lot of titles. And and uh, what's that's incredible for uh, Tim Duncan and uh, um, uh, for that coach for the San Antonio Spurs, they did they won it in like late nineties. You know, the first time. Yeah. So every four or five years, you know, we're talking they're winning one championship after and. Uh, Popovich, it's it's a uh, incredible coaching, and I gotta applaud their management, yeah. the ownership, and the coach. Th- that coach is gonna be on the Mount Rushmore NBA uh, coaches with Phil Jackson, Pat Riley, and Red Auerbach, and uh, it'll be. What about D'Antoni, the guy that managed the Lakers this year? Oh my God, he's terrible. <laughs> I'm glad he left. I'm sure he's a nice guy, and he probably could do a good job coaching other team with their, his system, but he was not a right pick for this team. Well, apparently not, yeah. It, it was a bad decision on their part. Lakers are not anywhere close to competing and winning a championship right now. The reality is it's just... Um, How long do you think it'll be? Five years? It's impossible to forecast something like it's, that. Uh, it's hard to forecast, but one of the advantage of... Uh, Los Angeles is—it's a wonderful place to play. You have the Hollywood and all the big name players want to mm. come here. It's a great place to market yourself as a superstar, so people do want to come. I—I I, I am hoping that um, because I'm a Seattle SuperSonics fan, they moved to Oklahoma to become Oklahoma Thunder's. I hope they have another terrible season next year. That Kevin Durant will decide to leave Oklahoma and and play for Lakers. They didn't have a terrible season this year, though. Well, terrible in that. They a disappointing season. It's disappointing because, yeah. and when they trade Harden two years ago, oh my God, it made me happy because by then I realized they're not going to win championship without that guy. He's the guy that met a world peace, put an elbow in his head, right? Isn't he the guy that met a world peace? Is that what happened? I, I just remember, remember when he elbowed, he, he just, it was a vicious elbow and I think it was right to Harden's head. 
I thought it was one of the dirtiest plays I'd ever seen in pro sports. Um, and he tried to play it off like it was a uh, nothing, an accident. And it, it was the most deliberate thing you've ever seen. I'm glad Harden's playing for Houston because that's guaranteed Oklahoma's not going to win. I'm glad they made a decision. I think, you know, of course it's easy to second guessing them, but I was really, really happy that he left yeah. because he was the factor that ended up beating the Spurs two or you know, three years ago and send the Thunders to NBA Finals. And uh, thank God that um, uh, LeBron James beat him in the Finals. So anyway, um, getting off topic. So um, great series. Um, Rangers fought their hearts, hearts out. Uh, to the last minute, really, really to the last minute. but Didn't work out. And uh, nope. congratulations to um Kings and this 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 was a really amazing fall of them to go game seven first three playoff series yeah never really been was. done before and, and on the road they win on the road and uh, they they tie for the most record for number of playoff to uh, win a Stanley Cup which was twenty six yeah, or twenty seven games uh, I believe it's twenty six games most most games uh, played in a playoff season a single Stanley Cup run and you also told me that this is the only team. Actually, won a Stanley Cup as playing as many games. Correct. Three, two other teams did it. Uh, one, I think, was I was telling you earlier, was Daryl Sutter's uh, two thousand four Calgary Flames that lost in seven games to oh, Tampa Bay. Ironic. So yeah. another Daryl Sutter connection. Well, that yeah, and that's what links him with uh, Robin Regeer. Robin Regeer, the defenseman for the Kings, veteran defenseman, brought in this year, first year with the Kings, brought in to help uh, bolster the defense. Got hurt in the first game against Anaheim. Didn't play the rest of the playoffs. Yeah, but that's how he links to Daryl Sutter. And um, there was a nice gesture uh, when Bettman handed the cup to Dustin Brown to begin the ceremony. The first guy Dustin Brown gave the Stanley Cup to was um, uh, Robin Regeer. So that was pretty cool. So now, now that uh, King has won two out of three Stanley Cups. Uh, you and I were going on Monday to the parade. Yeah, that's uh, right. I'm excited because I've never been to sports championship parade, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be fun. My question, now now that uh, they want it, and I know how competitive um, uh, the players are, um, I can't say his name, Drew Doughty? Doughty. Doughty, yeah. Um, I read in an interview, he's already thinking about the third one. Um, he, he <laughs> yeah, well, they, you, you know, know. There, there's also that, you know those waves and waves of cliched questions that come at these guys. Yeah. So I mean, you the can't, question of three peat. Now people are asking dynasty and all that. Yeah. I think well, you you were starting to make the point about you're talking about the San Antonio Spurs, and I don't think we'll see because of the nature of uh, well, in particular hockey, because of the hard salary cap and just the competitiveness competitiveness of the league, the parity of the league, all those factors. I don't think you can really get. A quote unquote dynasty where we see the same team winning year after year. But, but I think it, it is it, very it, possible it, to take a 20 year, take 20 years and have five or six appearances in the final, you know, with three or four. I mean, I think that's, or, you know, look at what Detroit's done. Look at what New Jersey's done. Detroit didn't win four cups in a row. Next year, would yeah. you feel start comfortable talking about the D word? You'd have to. Yeah. I mean, that would be three and four years. Is it possible? Yes, absolutely. The Kings are set up better than anybody else for that now because they're young. The Kings are if there if there is the possibility for a dynasty, well they've definitely mm -hmm. they they've definitely are, are the one. But I have to think in a in a broader sense, in a general sense, it's you know those days are pretty much gone for all the reasons previously mm -hmm. mentioned. It is possible now though because they've done two and three years. I mean, 
you know, a lot of the heavy lifting is already done. They're still, you know, but they're also going to be even a, an even bigger target next year for other teams. Yeah. Teams like the Sharks, the Ducks, the Coyotes, Dallas, Colorado, Vancouver, you know, they're going to be even, but I think they'll continue to win. I think they'll continue to be a good team. I, I, I don't see the Kings uh, being a non-playoff team for a long time. It's exciting because when I look at the Kings, it, it reminds me of Seattle Seahawks a lot. Mm-hmm. Great manager and the GM, uh, they're on the same page. Um, many young players, they're getting along. I mean, you, they remind me of the New York Islanders of the 1980s. Ah, interesting. Well, because they've got Jonathan Quick is, I mean, it's a different time. The equipment's different. The training's different. But these are young but, players with the old school mentality. They remind me of the New York Islanders. You've got a like, you've got a feisty goalie in Jonathan Quick, like they had with Billy Smith. I'm mm-hmm. Johnny Jonathan Quick is probably a better goalie but it's a different time it's a different time um and billy smith had a tremendous amount of success but i think there's some definite comparisons between uh a tenacious the tenacious net minding of smith and and jonathan quick and then you have a blue liner in drew dowdy who is um, emerging and maturing he's getting better every year and you know a lot of the analysts call him the best defenseman in the league uh, Drew Doughty is a direct line between the great Islander blue liner, Dennis Potvin. Um, I, I think that's the closest example right there. Mm-hmm. And then you have a world-class centerman in Andre Kopitar with the Kings who lines up beautifully with um, a guy like uh, number 19 for the the Islanders, Brian Trache, uh, a, a great playmaker, um, great power forward. You know, there's... But, of course, you can draw analogies between, you know, there's hundreds of teams you could connect to. But I like to use that analysis. Uh, I like to use that parallel or analogy because there's, to me, it's kind of distinct, especially in the case, especially the Drew Doughty, Dennis Podvan link. I think they're they're very similar. Um, although I think Doughty is, uh, is often a more dynamic player. Well, Steve, congratulations. I know I know you're happy. Uh, I, I, yeah. I always love seeing fans who suffer for years and still stick with the team. Yeah. I mean, I've been a fan of Seahawks since 1979. It's just misery after year after year. Just I had, truth be told, I had long pockets where, you know, five years here, five years there, where I wasn't going to games. And, mm-hmm. You know, I, it wasn't like I was... You know, I was this season ticket holder for. I mean, there's Kings fans that have been season ticket holders since the first year. Sure. You know, I've 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 been able to move on, and you know, live a life independently of the Kings without worrying too much. But it is it's a lot more fun. Yeah. Because um, there's there's no sport, in my opinion, that's better or more entertaining. Going to games. Uh, is fantastic. The NHL is incredibly rich in its traditions. I think the product is excellent. I think it's by far, uh, even though it can be very expensive, I think it's still the best value for your entertainment dollar. Sure. Especially sports related. Um, it's a separate culture, but it's. Uh, I think it's much richer and exciting than the than the other major sports. I really do. And um, it's it's just it it's you know nothing can match the thrill of hockey. And when you have a team that's competitive and fun to watch, that means you'll see more of it. Because as the team succeeds, that means they'll play more hockey. That means more games to go to. That means more the, the level of excitement continues to intensify. 
And when the team succeeds at that level and keeps moving up, it makes you more of a fan because you want to be entertained more and you want to be thrilled more. And, you know, they've they've erased 40 years of futility and mediocrity in the last three years in a big way. And I'm glad the Kings are winning because, uh, unfortunately, I don't think anytime soon other sports in Southern California is going to win anything. It, it sounds terrible to say, but I don't really trust Dodgers. Not the Clippers? I think that you don't trust the Dodgers because the fact that they did that they just went out and hired a bunch of guns, Yankee style. I'm not a big fan of that style. I mean, well, it I, doesn't I, it doesn't usually work. It, no, it, it doesn't seem to. It work. works and it works when you have. Not to mention you have a great team like San Francisco Giants. I just think they are better yeah. team talents and organizations better than Dodgers. Is that pitching in San Francisco still? I know Vogelsong lost today, but. Are they still getting good starts out of everyone? I Kane think so. I and, think they're uh, pretty a balanced good. team. I mean, they're been... 18, 19 games over five hundred, and yeah. we're not even at the halfway point. I, I just think uh, I think they're tre- tremendous, um, but um, of course, out of all the baseball teams, I'm always impressed with Oakland A's with their uh, limited budget and yeah. they're able to be competing year in year out. I, I, they're pretty impressive. They were uh, beating the Yankees tonight. Did you get a final on that? No, no, I um, will get a final. But the Kings, I think Kings going to be the most competitive, and uh, they are. It's overdue that the people uh, give them a lot of respect. One of the pro- new problem for some of the players is saying like now uh, they're getting kind of recognized too much. Before they nobody knew who the hell they were, you know. So it's a great problem, you know. It's the problem you get yeah, from the success. Well, they had that spike when they had Gretzky. I mean, uh, sure, Gre- Gretzky. Put them on the map in a, in a big way, and suddenly kids were, you know, rollerblading. Roller hockey was exploding. Road hockey, street sure. hockey, ice hockey. You know, there was there was a big boom of, um, you know, hockey-related interest because sure. Wayne was here. The Anaheim Ducks were born simply because of him. You know, there's a good argument that, you know, Anaheim would have never staked an NHL franchise. Disney would have never, you know, introduced a team if it wasn't for the popularity having been uh, brought upon by Wayne. Would you like to hear my my call of the Stanley Cup winning goal from last night? What? Would you like to hear my call? My, sure. If I were doing if I were doing the radio broadcast. Sure. Okay, we're in Rangers zone. Uh, Rangers on the attack. Kings take the puck away. They started up to center three on two. Here's Clifford. Clifford moves into the zone. It comes to Alec Martinez. He puts it in. Kings win the Stanley Cup. Great play by Alec Martinez picking up the garbage and uh, the Kings have their anyway, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's win it with the two random questions for you. It has nothing to do with hockey. Um I'm always been fascinated by your friend that you talk about this guy a lot. Um it's your gay buddy. Uh, what's his name again? Uh, uh Chris? No, no, no. This is the guy he used to go to gay bars and uh, people used to piss in his mouth. Oh, Billy Ween. Okay, let's. can we talk a little bit about that? Well, I went to one hockey game with him. Okay, here we go. Uh, to tie it in with hockey, we went to uh, a Ducks game down in Orange County about 10 years ago. And uh, it was a down year for Anaheim, and they were playing the New York Islanders. Mm-hmm. And um, the only thing I could tell you about the game is the Islanders won the game. But beforehand, uh, you know, of course, at the time, Disney still was the principal owner of the team. Sure. And, uh, you know, it's a very much a Disney culture. Well, we were down at the pond one night, and Billy was, um, you know, there's a lot of kids at the game. Oh, God. So Billy was acting in a way that was making me uncomfortable. He didn't really do anything, but he said something to me. So I grabbed him by the throat. What did he say? 
I, I really can't remember, but he was making some kind of a joke. Okay, so uh, what was Billy? Is gay, aggressively gay. Guy. Oh yeah, even <laughs> beyond beyond words. There's a new. De- there's some kind of a. They, they need to come up with a new, a new term for his level of gay. I mean, he was a hyper gay. Yeah, pathologically. I mean, I, I would say it wasn't even really sexuality. He, was pre- he had a predatory sexuality, oh my God. which is dangerous in a Disney environment. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> so I, I just remember. So I, he was saying something inappropriate. Yeah, he said or did something, and and there was kids nearby. So I, I told him I was going to fucking kill him if he kept it up, and he stopped. Okay. And at the time, UPS was you starting. Think he was joking. Yeah, I think so, but you never know with him. At the time, UPS was starting an ad campaign where the tagline was, uh, what can the brown do for you? Yeah. And I remember he made some kind of a comment about that, um, which we don't need to go into. Yeah. But I, I, I told him, I said, well, we know what the brown can do for you, Billy. <laughs> he showed us. But can you tell me some of his antics? Like, uh, what was the thing with the, uh, he would go to gay bar did you tell me he used to go to the st- bathroom stall? Um, there was an unrelated story, something nothing to do with Billy. Oh, was another guy, the, the guy saying, like, pissing my mouth. Yeah, that's a story. Uh, I used to work with a, a gay guy uh, who was far more normal than uh, Billy. No connection between him. And, his name was Bill, too. Uh, <laughs> other than that, no connection. And he had he was telling me how... When he came to L.A., he was new to the town, and he had a bunch of gay friends, and he said to them, I want you to take me to the most outrageous, craziest gay bar, the most. I want to do it. I want to go, like, something right out of Friedkin's Cruising. Yeah. And so the, his buddies took him to this bar in uh, Silver Lake, like a leather a leather daddy bar, and there was, uh, you know, all kinds, of, all kinds of pissing going on. There was, like, an old, there was, like, a tub in the middle of the dance floor. Yeah. And guys were just going up and pissing on this old man who was sitting in the tub. So, so he was just in, into guys pissing in his mouth. Well, the guy, whoever that guy was, and then Bill, not my friend, mm-hmm. not my friend, but my. So that he was just he was as disgusted and shocked by it as anybody would be. And, as he pissed into the old man's mouth. <laughs> well, he went into the bathroom. Well, you're and, there and you saw that. No, no, no. And he went into the bathroom and there was a guy. Uh, literally squatting like a, a baseball catcher by the toilet, but not sitting on the toilet, but like, sure. was squatting there, like looking up at the guys as they pissed into the toilet or the urinal, whatever. And, he's, and he was entreating uh, patrons of the bar to piss on him. And then when it came, my buddy's turn to use the toilet or the urinal, the guy's like, oh, well, you know, go ahead. You can, you can piss in my mouth. That's cool. My friend said, you know, I'm sorry. I'm pee shy. I, I just, I couldn't do it. And, and you're really good looking, but I just, I couldn't do it. And the guy's like, oh, okay, no, I understand. Well, later on that night, things are going, you know, and the band and the the music's playing and they're all dancing. And my friend Bill's telling me they're on the dance floor. That guy came up to him and put his arm around him. And I guess they're all dancing and laughing and drunk and stuff. And Bill looked at the guy and had to look away immediately because the guy's breath stunk oh. uh, just like a, a wall of piss hit him uh, like can't like you a get tor- a hepatitis a when, if somebody's pissing in your mouth something well i had heard that that's actually um, i'd heard that it's completely sterile once it leaves the body like huh. it, the organisms don't i don't know that's what i've heard i don't want to find a nice transition by the way from the stanley cup <laughs> final this is how the new york rangers would have celebrated the stanley cup 
<laughs> had they won, but fortunately they didn't. So the heterosexual Los Angeles Kings <laughs> will carry the Stanley Cup aloft. Um, the reason I ask because I want to say Kings, 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 and the last thing I want to talk is like you you live in K Town. I mean, what what's your relationship with the Korean people in K Town? You live there. I mean, you're it. That's yeah. it. Uh, my relationship. I'm trying to think if I know. Anybody. So you don't have any problem living in there with Asian. No, people. I, you know, there's a little, there's a little tiny bit of a of a cultural wall there. Mm -hmm. um, not that that's anything that should be construed as negative either on either side. I don't think I'm treated badly. Uh, it's a little closed off. It's a little insular. But I also don't make any effort to get to know them. Yeah, and it's not because I don't want to. It's just, I don't know, just because it doesn't work out that way. You know, I don't spend a lot of my time. I spend a lot of time at home, but when I leave the neighborhood, I usually leave the neighborhood. I usually, when I leave to do things, whether it's work or for fun, sure. I, us I usually leave the neighborhood. The other day I was walking in a part of the neighborhood I ne usually never walk in, and I realized that, wow, this is like five minutes from my house, and I don't even recognize these streets, and I... I felt like I should, you know, I should make efforts. Yeah, I, I did because I, I'm, you know, I, I have some place to go. I get in my car and I leave. I go to see people in, you know, in Hollywood or I come to, you know, I go to the Valley, I go to work and things like that. So I don't see, but I don't feel anything negative about it. I just, I don't know. It's just kind of walled off. There's not a lot of Koreans in my building either. It's mostly like, um, you know, uh, whites, uh, blacks. Is that right? I don't know. That. There's not a lot. No, I don't see a lot. You know, the, the bar next door. I'm just, you know, it's, of course, all the businesses around the area, the restaurants and things like that. And, um, yeah, and the Koreans are all right. I'm cool with them. They're well, okay. that was my poor attempt to bring it to random stuff, but um, cool. Well, we can do other random stuff. Um, but um, anyway, Steve. I do know this. There's, I, I can't, I don't think there's a, a solitary person in the building or in the immediate area that knows or gives one flying fuck about what the, the Kings have just done. I know that there's large segments of the population here in the city that don't know and don't care about it, but it's interesting that I am in a downtown neighborhood or a downtown adjacent neighborhood and I'm the only guy walking around in a King sweater. Um, last thing. Yeah, last thing. It's the most of the NHL fans predominantly white. Mm. Well, has it changed? I think it's yeah. I think it's really changed. I think there's a lot of Hispanics that like it. A lot of, a lot of Hispanic guys are into it. Um, you don't see a lot of black guys that are into it, but they're there. You know, yeah. I mean, I th I think this about uh, black guys and hockey. I don't think black guys give a shit about hockey, yeah. but I think they respect it. Yeah, that's one of the things I've gotten from uh, black friends and colleagues that like. I don't think they give a shit about it. Like, who cares who wins or loses? But I think they really respect it. Sure. And I think they like it in terms of they know what makes it good. They know why people would be into it, and, and they respect it. And, you know, and the NHL has its, you know, fans that are black for sure, and players for that matter. But um, they respect it. Yeah. And, and um, I, I like it that they respect it. And um, But it's changing. I mean, you see a lot of Asian, a lot of, you know, it, it's still predominantly, like, you know, white suburbanites. Sure. It's not cheap to play it as a kid. It's, all that. it's ridiculously expensive. You know, the equipment. And how do you get on the ice? You yeah. know, I mean, uh, yeah, equipment and 
it, you it, know, the last couple of years I've been traveling to the Northeast a lot, and, and um, it's very common to go a little, even little town. You had like a ski rink, and the kids are ski, uh, skating like a very young age, you know. And like, mm. I never grew up in that environment, so it was really interesting. Like, a lot of people skate, and um, it's part of that region and culture of that part. It's, I don't think it's a big culture down in Southern California, except watching the Kings play, but. I don't think that's a common rec- recreational for most kids down in Southern California. I don't think um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's not a cheap sport to get into. No, I think the the costs and you know it's kind of dangerous. Probably a lot of people aren't mm-hmm. crazy about having their kids, you know, get in front of that. But all right, Steve, congratulations. What's your prediction for the team for uh, next year? I think they're going to be a very good team and make the playoffs next year, and then beyond that, who knows. But I, I definitely think a, uh, a return to the Stanley Cup playoffs is in the offing. And with this team, who knows? You just you can't predict this. All right. Thanks, Steve. Um, do, you, do you have a Twitter account or something? Or No, but I'm gonna have, I have one additional call, mm-hmm. one additional radio play-by-play call, if the game was last night. But if instead of Toffoli, Clifford, and Martinez, it was Obayashi, Katani, and Hall. <laughs> and we play for the Kings. Rangers on the attack, deep in the King zone. Plays broken up, brought up to center now by Obayashi. Obayashi, he'll shoot it in. Kachani goes in to get it there. Pass over, saved by Lundqvist. Rebound by Hall. And Hall starts sucking the goalie's cock. <laughs> Rick Hall is sucking. This is the first time in Stanley Cup history. Rick Hall, ladies and gentlemen, is blowing the goaltender. What a performance by this young man. Isn't it nice how Yoshi comes into the old folks' home and lets the old fellas just ramble on? This is great because Rick is literally uh, traveling to Japan 12 hours from now, 12, 13 hours. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> That's the extent of, of uh, Steve's knowledge of the Orient. <laughs> I like them Oriental gals, too. Um, I watched Throat Fox like like Asian cocksuckers. That's a good one. Well, um, Steve, congratulations. It's going to be exciting. We're going to the parade once again on Monday. Not the kind of parade that Rick want to go. He was at the one last week. <laughs> so, um, folks, thanks for listening. And Steve, you want to pitch the documentary you're working and we finish? Resurrecting it? Doug Dunning to all 1.2 people that might hear this podcast. Resurrecting Doug Dunning. It's a great movie. And uh, it stars Douglas Dunning. It's uh, it's you know complete departure from what I'm known for, which is uh, in-depth sports analysis. I thought you were going to say scat. Well, that too. <laughs> scat and sports. Give the website and let's finish this. Uh, uh, I think it's it resurrect resurrectingdougdunning.com. Cool. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Yoshi. Uh, I, I know this is a very specific podcast episode talking about hockey, which we never done it. But uh, um, I, I love the podcast where we do something random and different. So thanks for listening, and uh, hopefully, I have another episode where we talk about another sports World Cup next time. Thanks for listening, and thanks, Steve. And uh, and I want to wish uh, Rick Hall a safe trip to Japan, and uh, um, good luck to him with that. All I can say is, Rick. Let's roll. Let's roll. Your shit. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, and uh, talk to you guys soon. Bye. <laughs>